HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hi, everyone. This is Yorm dropping in to reshare the conversation I had with the Genjin Brothers, whose incredible story was featured in Humans of New York this week. A new season of Item 13 kicks off next week on February 1, and I look forward to sharing more stories of resilient and inspiring African food entrepreneurs. In the meantime, here's the story of Mo and Rahim from episodes 46 and 47. Enjoy. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Akuaku. Every week, we'll delve into the delicious world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. So welcome to the show, Rahim. I'm, it's great to have you on. Your, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, you are the final and therefore the most special guest <laughs> of, the I feel se- <laughs> of the season. Um, I'm really thrilled to talk to you and, you know, share your story and your journey with, with the rest of the world. Um, I'm sure a lot of people in New York and then just based on the press you've done um, know your story, but I think it will be helpful for the wider audience. We have a huge audience on the continent, um, and then just from people awesome. across the country, across the country in the U.S. and in Canada, I think would benefit from learning from your story, um, which I've always found fascinating. So, awesome. I wanted Thank to you. share. Yeah, cool. So, for those that don't know you, um, what do you want to share about who you are? Um, and you can tell us about your brother too, because he's not here to speak for himself. So you can say. <laughs> Well, <laughs> you can I, I whatever you want to say about it. I, I know, right? I'll introduce him very briefly, um, but I'm, um, I, I don't think I would do justice to him introducing himself, so I'll announce him, but I won't go into any detail, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> uh, you know, he's my brother. We're very, very close, but still, everyone's you know, likes to present themselves in a very specific way, and I don't want to violate that, you know? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, thank you, thank you so much for for having us on here. I, um, you know, when when I, for one, when I heard you were doing this podcast, I, I was very excited about it. And specifically, an, you know, an African food podcast, I always felt like the the media component in African food and beverages, you know, um, you know, um, 
going into the mainstream was lacking, right? And so when I stumbled upon this, when I got your email, which I was very, very late to reply to, I just loved the whole idea and um, the, the context within which we met back with the Dining on the Mat series, I just loved the, 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 the production level of, you know, that, um, that event that I, um, I felt like you would, uh, I, I, I look good talking to you on any <laughs> platform, you know? <laughs> so thank you for having me. Yeah, no, um, that's, that's, that's great. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm the co-founder of Jinjang Brothers. Um, I, um, my brother is the other half. And my brother Mohammed, and really our goal with Jinjang Brothers is to develop and bring to market food and beverage products inspired by traditional African recipes. And you know, we started out with Jinjang, um, uh, a classic ginger-based beverage that you find throughout West Africa, made with fresh ginger, pineapples, lemon, vanilla, and anise. Um, but really, our goal is not to stop there, right? It's to take everything from um, you know other beverages like jinjang and other snacks and you know traditional grains and dishes and stews all these things that we of the continent know are there and are amazing and if the rest of the world was to get a chance to get exposed to it they would absolutely embrace it um, and really bring it to market um, in a way that would give and do justice to the people and the culture within which these um, these products evolved so that's the that's the that's the overall mission. Yeah, you you summarized it quite nicely, and there's a lot to unpack in in that summary that we will cover um, throughout our conversation today. But I wanted to take us um, maybe I don't know how many years back that would be, but um, just how and when did you guys end up in, in the states? Because a lot of um, African immigrants that I speak to have you know their own interest, including myself, have their own interesting ways of. One, how they ended up here. Um, mm -hmm. Two, they they probably started in a tradition, quote unquote, traditional job or role, and then sort of found themselves um, mm -hmm. in this food space. Um, mm -hmm. Not just for the business aspect of it, but there's also like that, you know, story to you, that authentic storytelling piece. You know, like wanting mm -hmm. to share aspects of ourselves. So. If we go back, you told me how many years ago. I don't know <laughs> how many years ago that was, but um, how you landed here. Uh -huh. um, and then um, even as you, you spoke about, you know, you know what you want to do with Ginger in terms of not just the drink, but eventually snacks and whatnot. It made me mm -hmm. think about the fact that you guys, you guys are guys, <laughs> are guys, right? And when I think yeah. about how I grew up, um, I grew up cooking very early on and... Um, mm -hmm. I think of my younger brother now who who is not was not immersed as much in the kitchen as my sister and I were right so I also mm -hmm. wonder what that connection is for you in terms of um, kitchen experience and then coming into into this sure uh, so I'll uh, I'll touch on when we got here first and uh, and then oh, yeah, maybe go <laughs> right and then uh, and then and then go back to the somewhat beginning and and tie in uh, you know how the like you said uh, males in in Africa traditionally aren't really you don't really catch them much in the kitchen unless they're hungry you know <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I was hungry a lot so maybe that has something to do with it. <laughs> Um, 
so yeah, we my brother came to the States before I did. He came in 97. Um, he was 13, going on 14 years old. He, you know, he stayed with friends of the family. I mean, our, like you said, our immigrant story, that we, if you want to like unpack that portion of it, we'll spend the whole hour only talking about that. So I'm only going <laughs> to brush yeah, it away. Yeah, it's and, and I think, <laughs> I think because you guys do a lot of press, I, will, I can link up to some, for people that want to know the okay. whole story, I can link to some um, other press that shares it. Because ultimately, we will, we, you know, I want to touch on it so people have a sense or a flavor of it. But what um, our goal for the conversation ultimately is to help one, because we have a lot of small food business owners that listen to this. Yeah. So want to yeah. delve more into your operations versus. Um, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a podcast about Africa, about food, specifically African <laughs> food. So that's what we're going to spend the bulk of the time talking about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my brother came uh, in 97, around 13. He um. He stayed with friends of the family in Pennsylvania and then moved down to Atlanta with uh, another friend of the family. Um, ended up coming back to New York briefly and graduated high school in uh, New Hampshire. So I came to see his graduation. I came in uh, 2001, around 2001. Um, I was 14, um, like about a month or so before I turned 15. And initially I was just coming on vacation and the plan was for me to finish, you know, stay for for the for the summer, go back home, finish high school there, and I probably would have ended up in France uh, for for college or Canada or something like that. But I ended up staying um, because I after the summer I was learning English, and uh, we just figured that it's a good idea for me to stay here. And I, since I was somewhat young, and learned the culture and just have an easier time as I grow older adapting to the, to the American culture and Western culture as a whole. So that's, that's sort of how we got here. Um, then, you know, my academically, fast forward a few years later, my, my brother um, went to business, uh, well, he studied business in undergrad. I, I don't want to say he went to business school and people think an MBA. <laughs> He, he did business administration in undergrad, and I, uh, I did engineering for undergrad and, and grad school. I, um, yeah, I did engineering uh, undergrad at Michigan State grad school in Germany and France, and my brother did his uh, undergrad. He started out at um, Polytech, NYU Polytech here, and uh, finished up at Mercy. And the way we got into this food business, really, um, so our, you know, our goal early on, and this is something that any, any African that's been here any, any, um, any length of time would attest to, it's really just a general frustration on, of how we, pre how we present it to the world, right? Um, for one, if we present it at all, right? So it's, it's just starting something that would allow us to, um, to present Africa in a better light. So we could have done this in, in fashion, in music, media, you know, or uh, we just happen to do it in food and for a number of reasons. Um, food is one of the, you know, one of the principal aspects of, of, of any culture, right, that can be readily embraced by someone else with minimal effort. You know, unlike traveling or learning a new language, right, you can walk into, uh, a, you know, a Ghanaian restaurant, a South African restaurant without having ever, you know, interacted with that culture yeah. before. 
right? Taste their food, learn their food, and really, if you fall in love with that, it it, it opens up um, your 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 curiosity right. to learn the culture further, right? Uh, so that's that's sort of why we picked food. And beyond that, if you think about the situation of traditional African foods in Africa, it's a massive market that's extremely fragmented and there's yet to be really any significant brand behind that, right? You have an easier time getting, you know, um, cases of name the imported brand or product than you do having some of the local stuff, you know? Which is yeah, mind-boggling. And, 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 and even and even um even in the fragmented market I'm finding that like Chinese and Asian stores are also sort of taking hold like in terms of gro- groceries or retail in some ways. Yep. They're taking over yep. that, that space as well, you know. Which is yeah. kind yeah. of frustrating. You're right. Before them, it's the Lebanese, and you know, in Western, in, in, in Francophone countries, the French. If if it's something more valuable, um, if in the Anglophone countries, maybe some of the Brits and something like that. But that's it. It's almost never us, you know, commercializing our own stuff. Um, and 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 yeah. So so we feel like the African market, like the traditional beverage space in Africa, or navigates beverage, food, beverage, like everything, CPG is so massive, right? And that if we build a brand here, uh, that, and the only reason we started in the US is because one, we're in the US, and two, infra- infrastructurally, it, it's easier to launch a business here than it is to launch a business in Africa, right? Uh, and, and we also felt that if we start a business here, we build it, you know, we're, we're of the continent, we understand the culture really well. Uh, if we take it from here we, and then we go back to Africa, for there there'll be a sense of pride in our people in receiving it. And let's be honest, oftentimes the the people you know, the businesses that are started on the continent by people of the continent aren't as readily embraced, right? right. But until, if it's until if they it, quote unquote make it <laughs> make exactly. elsewhere, you know, which is uh, Yeah. So but if you bring if you bring your brand back there and it's like, hey, this is killing it in America or in France or in name the Western country, right? And you know, you have you know, white people are drinking this or white people are eating this. All of a sudden, you know, they'll, they'll embrace you a little more, more readily. I mean, that is not a primary reason, but these are all factors that played into us deciding, you know what, let's get this going here before we before anything else. Um, okay. as, for, as for spending any time in the kitchen or why we started <laughs> the food product uh, <laughs> not, not being cooked, uh, for one thing, so we came here at a really relatively young age. So in some ways, we um, we had to be independent. I mean, at least me. My brother is not a great cook, but I cook a lot, uh, right? Because at at you know by the time I got to college, even when I was in high school, I I used to cook for us at home. And when I was a kid back home in Guinea, um, I was a little fat kid, so I loved hanging out with my mom in the kitchen, oh. right? Because uh, you know, <laughs> in the kitchen, I would I would help her. I would I would I would hold her, you know, help her cut the meat or do something like that just so I have first dibs when the food is ready you know what I mean (laughs) and I just generally loved hanging out with my mom so there was that exposure this doesn't mean that I knew how to cook whatsoever Uh, but you know I I had I had an affinity for you know I didn't grow up with this mindset and uh, of men don't spend time in the kitchen and my dad also wasn't like that my dad was was pretty um 
yeah, it was pretty uh, what do you call it, progressive in that sense. Yeah. So all of that played into played into it. Plus, uh, here I spent about you know on, on, I essentially paid my way through college waiting tables in 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 the in the US. Oh, and yeah. As I waited tables, I attended bar, I managed the bar, so I have a lot of experience in the hospitality space. Um, everything from little mom and pop shops to like Michelin star restaurants in New York City. Cool. So you, I mean, actually, even before we go ahead, I I think it might be helpful to explain what ginger means. Like, I don't know if it means if if it has any specific meaning in a language. It sounds like ginger, so I don't know if it's a play on the word ginger or if, uh, <laughs> or if it's um, I don't know. You tell us. Another language. Yeah. Yeah. So, so ginger, the 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 ginger based drink, right? Um, that we make in Guinea. Is called ginger. Now, oh, okay, okay. Now, it's not. It doesn't mean it, like none of the languages in Guinea, uh, like it doesn't mean ginger in any of the languages in Guinea. It's a specific name for the liquid mm. beverage. That specific liquid beverage. Um, and for example, ginger in my in my native language, Fulani, is nyamakuleidi. Uh, oh, uh, it means it means pepper of the earth. And so if you were to go to places like Ivory Coast or Mali, you know, where you have more of the, the, the Mandingo speakers, uh, they're calling Yamakuji, right? Uh, same thing. Oh, so that, so wouldn't, that wouldn't easily roll off the tongue for us. Not, not <laughs> as easily. <laughs> so it's, it's a total coincidence that Jinjang sounds like ginger. Yeah. And it just made sense to use it. Yeah, that's that's good branding. Um, so I wanted to talk about your cafe in Harlem. Um, yeah. Because we'll delve into the business of the the drink itself after the break. But I wanted to talk specifically about the cafe. Like why why a cafe? So you've you know you've done. I don't know if it was always in the plan, but you've done. You know the beverage. It's doing fairly well. Um, why did you want to settle yourselves with the brick and mortar store, and then why Harlem specifically too? So the strategy from the, this was part of the strategy from from the very beginning. Um, the way we see this evolving and is um, you know the, the plan with the cafes is to have them you know have a number of them in uh, in in major metro areas. So imagine like a few of these in New York City, places like um, you know DC, Atlanta, Houston, Seattle, London, you name it, right? Like major metropolitan areas um, is to have the cafes in those locations. And the reason why we felt that a cafe had to be part of the part of the you know the strategy is that you know we're trying to sell African culture. We're trying to you know demystify the products, cultures, and people of Africa, right? And you, it's hard to accomplish that with just a packaged product because there's only so much you can communicate on a bottle, on a label, on a bottle. Um, so the cafes, uh, when you walk into them, you know, from the decor to the music to the flavors, right? Um, it's meant to give you this, um, you know, experience, like, like, you know, like this experience of, of, of African culture in a way that you could not get with just interacting with a, with, with a, with a label. So that's really the idea. You walk in there, you're sitting in there, you might walk in and just get a, a latte and not get one of our specialty beverages, right? So we, we not just ginger, but we, right now we already have our next, the, the, uh, the next uh, three skills that we roll out. There's a hibiscus-based drink, um, we call it Bisap. Um, there's a, a, a 
like uh, two teas. One is a Moroccan menti called a Thai, and the other one is a Kenkeliba. It's this um, like hardy bush that grows on marginal lands throughout West Africa. That's amazing in terms of its health benefits. That that we also selling there. So these are. So the cafe allows us to not only future some of those products on there and use it as a testing ground for some of those products before we shift them into like a packaged drink that we're distributing through either direct-to-consumer online or through using third-party retailers. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN can provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new shows. We had to cut off our first half of our conversation, our first third of our conversation, actually, with Raheem because... um, because Seattle had a brief power outage. And so things, these things that you expect in Africa happen right here. And, and actually, Seattle is a big tech hub now, right, too. So it's, it's interesting that it would happen, happen here with all of our high-tech stuff. Um, and then we were just shut off. So, But the good thing about it is that we are now joined by the other half of Gengen Brothers. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is great. So... Things always happen the way they're supposed to <laughs> in that yeah. sense. So we're, we're glad to have you on, um, Mohammed. Um, maybe do you want to introduce yourself a little bit before we jump back into where we were at in the interview? Yeah, I'm uh, glad to be here. Um, my name is Mohammed Diallo. I'm the other half of Jinjam Bros. Uh, the, 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 the skinnier looking older brother. <laughs> 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 yeah and uh yeah that's that's really it i think uh, I, I keep it brief and uh people will get to know more uh, as we speak i think sure cool um so when we when we spoke with raheem last time um we talked a little bit about how you guys came to the u.s your early memories of food and cooking and what brought you to starting the jinjan uh brand of drinks um, but before going into the specifics of that business, I, I wanted you guys to tell us why, why you decided to saddle yourselves with a brick and mortar store, um, why you chose to have a cafe, why you chose to have it in Harlem in particular, um, what is the thought process behind that? Yeah, we've been asking ourselves that same question lately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, but um, 
the the brick and mortar has always been in the equation to be honest with you um uh, the plan was initially you know once we we put together this amazing business we raised hundreds of millions of dollars we grow the <laughs> business all over the country a few late few years in we would get the cafes going we would open a cafe here and there and and expand um at that point uh but the what we realize is the reality is quite different in terms of uh, um, uh, getting funding uh, for mm-hmm. you know people with our background. Uh, you know we don't necessarily uh, we we don't have the the ideal profile. Let's say for what yes. uh, uh, um, investors, CPGs, uh, um, uh, VCs necessarily look for in the initial phase. So we have to make sure that we can prove to them that we are the real deal that yeah. we can do and we can deliver upon what we're promising them. So from the from the packaging good side of things, we, we managed to do that really well with the one drink. Uh, but the challenge was still, uh, you know, um, getting that, um, um, that image or sort of selling them on what the, the, the larger, the, the bigger picture, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't understand beyond what they saw and they tried, which was simply the ginger drink. Uh, what, we, what we're trying to achieve is a full CPG uh, company that also had hospitality uh, embedded in it. You know, a, a a a brand that can be that can house all these different amazing products from from back home, essentially. Uh, so uh, when you know, because we weren't able to convey that message thoroughly, um, we decided, you know, perhaps if you do, uh, even with the ginger drink, people didn't quite get it until they saw it and they tried it and they tasted it. But perhaps if you give something more comprehensive, something like a space people can come into and get immersed into the culture, listen to the music, the smell, the taste, the sound, try these other drinks like the Sorello's, uh, Zobo, mm-hmm. uh, Isap, you know, try some of our food like the grains and stuff uh, that we have uh, back home and the sauces. Perhaps the picture would be more vivid and clear. Um, and uh, uh, quite frankly, it worked pretty well, you know, until we closed in March due to COVID yeah. and uh, uh, it, it, it was going uh, amazingly well. We had rave, rave reviews. People all of a sudden came in and they knew about all these other drinks that we were trying to serve. And when investors or other people that we were trying to talk to uh, uh, came in and spoke to us, uh, it, it, we didn't have to say that much because they saw everything and mm-hmm. they tried it and, and they believed in it. And, uh, you know, it's nothing feels better than people walking in and say, <laughs> yo, Starbucks got nothing on you guys. Like, this place is better than Starbucks. I would rather come in here. Than go anywhere else. So really, it was just to to, to show that we 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 can execute at that level. We can have a space and a place and uh, provide quality products that are that good and that excellent. You know, it's it's all about uh, the quality of the product is very good, but also presentation is extremely important. And we were able to put all of that together uh, with the cafe. Yeah, and I agree. And I can speak firsthand because I've been to the cafe a couple of times, and I think. Um, just by, like, like you said, there's a certain pride, at least for me, having sort of been in this space now for five plus years, um, I look at a lot of brands for a better, for lack of a better term. And, um, there's a certain pride when you walk into a space like that, that not only sort of captures your identity or tells your, 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 your culture, your story in this in a way that you recognize, but it's also done at a level that you can be proud of, that you can say, hey, like my friend from, you know, Italy or wherever, like I'm yeah. going to take you to this place that, you know, 
shows you a little bit more about who I am and where I'm from and all of that stuff. And I felt that. So the people that are telling you that this this has got nothing on Starbucks, yes, there's that. But then also from 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 a person that's that's African, there's that um, connection to it. Um, that Absolutely. yeah, that that I I think is hard to to replicate. So kudos to you guys. And and one of the things I wanted, even even with just even before you had the cafe, I think. You may not. You may be underselling yourself in terms of the story you're t- trying to tell and branding and your brand identity. I think it's pretty strong. I think you can you. just by virtue of being on your website, on Instagram, on social, all of that. Did you have a particular, um, I guess, story that you wanted to tell, or what's the overall vision in terms of the quote-unquote African story that you're trying to tell through your brand identity, whether it's through the interior design, through the logo design? What's the? Um, yeah, so um, the, the, I guess the story we're trying to communicate to the world really is that, you know, pe- that the people of Africa, the people that come from the continent and the products that we have on the continent and really everything associated with Africa is a lot more than uh, the narrative that folks outside of Africa have, uh, you know, essentially have known all their whole lives, right? So typically you mention Africa to folks uh, that don't know of the continent or are not really, um, you know, as, as, as I guess, um, that don't know as much about the, the world outside of wherever they come from. Um, it, it tends to not be a positive image they get of Africa, mm-hmm. right? These ideas of corruption, ideas of poverty, it's just, you know, this basket case of the continent that just needs people to come out from the outside and save them, right? Um, and you think about, we had a lady, I, I mean, I give, this has happened a number of occasions. We'll have people come into the coffee shop and ask, you know, when we tell them our beans, our, you know, our, our drip coffee is a blend of beans from Africa, Congo, Rwanda, and Ethiopia, you'll have them, you'll, you'll have people that don't know that there's coffee in Africa, literally. Right. Right. Uh, and you know, whereas coffee comes from Africa, right? Yeah. So it, 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 I, I had a Colombian couple once come sit there. You know, you could tell the tourists order coffee. They, you know, they had the latte and, uh, and a cappuccino, I believe it was, and they just loved it. So I come over to clear their plates, and she asked uh, the, the the lady asked me, "Is this Colombian coffee?" We're like, you know, right? you could tell Colombian. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I said, I said, I said, do you like it? She goes, yeah, it's amazing. And, and then I tell her it's now Colombian coffee. And I explained to her what the blend is. Mm-hmm. And she was surprised that there was coffee as good as whatever she perceives Colombian right. coffee. To be, right. But that's not from coffee, it's from Colombia. And even more so that it's from Africa. Right. Like she, this woman from Colombia takes pride in coffee, but doesn't know that these are beans that probably started their lives somewhere in East Africa. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the trans there so just generally changing that um that view people have of africa and you know we tell this to folks often we could have done this in other in other spaces in media and fashion and you name it it just so happens that food has a unique uh food you you know you can embrace another culture to the food in a way mm-hmm. that you cannot do anything else right you, it's harder to learn a language or to pack your bag than go and travel around africa and get to learn africa that way but we can go to, uh, if we had places like the Jinjan Cafe, you know, throughout the world, you can have people go in there. And even even if um, that doesn't necessarily completely change their mindset, their view of Africans, African-Africans, it will at least 
have something else that's positive in their mind that they can associate with Africa beyond whatever preconceived notions they have, you know? So it's that, yeah, just essentially just highlighting the fact that we're capable of executing at the highest level, just like everyone else, and that our products should be, you know, um, everywhere, just like everyone else's products are in Africa. That's more or less, yeah. that's a winded way of uh, telling you, we just want to tell the story of Africa. Yeah. I, and I agree, and it's, it, even with the coffee, are we going to say something? Yeah, it's Mohammed now, but if, if I may jump in quickly, one yeah. thing we did not want to um, compromise on was, was quality. We, 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 we noticed uh, that whenever we mentioned our products, and of course, we too had frustration of going into certain markets and um, seeing the branding was a bit poor, but we realized one of the biggest difference between our products and other products out there in the market is really just a lack of an absence of branding or taking branding more seriously. Mm. So um, I say this because what we did is looks good and it even looks simple sometimes, but it, it really was quite difficult. We went over to, through over 70 different designers. <laughs> get to what we wanted to have simply because the, you, the stereotype is everywhere. They don't do it in purpose, but every, de every designer, brand designer that we went to was giving us stuff like with... Uh, like an African lady yeah. holding something on their head. <laughs> like a souvenir shop. You know, a souvenir like, shop, you know, you know yeah. like just, just everything stereotypical about Africa. Yeah. Like that's, that's the type. We were like, listen, we forget, perhaps we should tell you to forget about Africa yeah. as a whole. Just make the best possible looking brand that you can. And communicating even that was difficult the moment we mentioned Africa. So we really, really had to be extremely patient and just go through people and have the courage to say, no, sorry, you're close, but not quite there. No, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, um, you know, we, we just have to take ourselves also serious, serious enough to, to know that, you know, if our, our, product, our qualities are of great product, um, and, and, and if we can just also make it look as good, Thank you, Benjamin. Our products have a great quality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have great quality products. Yeah, exactly. Great quality products. And if you can simply get the, uh, the the look, the brand, and take everything else that comes along with it more seriously, uh, everyone else has no choice but to take us seriously, in, in essence. And I think that's how we will change the narrative of Africa from what we're doing here to, to what you're doing. Uh, what you're doing is also very high quality. So it's all of those things that needs to come together for um, for Africa to be viewed uh, in a slightly better light or in the way that we know that it, it is or it can be. Yeah. Um, as you were talking about the quality of, of, uh, of your products, it made me start to think I'm now going to transition into talking about the CPG, the food business, packaging business in particular, and, and how challenging it can be, one, starting just with regulations, right? So talking about quality reminds me of um, my brother actually started a, a juice um, business some time ago um, but didn't wasn't able to follow through with it for a variety of reasons but one of the things that he found challenging was meeting like FDA standards um, for the things that or the claims that were on the label right so if I remember correctly you can correct me if I'm wrong because I, I don't have the bottom in front of me I, I think uh, your drink is considered or labeled organic and GM, GMO free, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. But it's at least organic. Um, yeah. So if people, people are thinking about entering, and, and a lot of people that are doing this want to enter into this space and are looking at juices specifically, are probably going to go that route because of the signal of quality, of um, health, um, 
what are the, in terms of labeling and meeting regulations, what are some of the hurdles or what are some of the considerations people need to think about as they um, put together a product for? So, you know, um, food, food, food is very heavily regulated. I mean, if, if you think about the fact that food and food, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, right? So it's regulated at the same level as drugs. Yeah. Or, or, rightfully right rightfully so and depending on where you are i mean we're in the u.s so we'll just focus on cases that are specific to the u.s uh each state has different regulatory bodies that you might fall under right so in new york for example we have to be inspected by the department of agriculture and that's a state department um if but if you're brick and mortar location that's uh, like the cafe that has to be inspected by the Department of Health of the city of New York. So there's a local level uh, oh, that we have to deal with in New York City for the cafe. And then for the packaged goods, we have to um, you know, register with the FDA and then uh, get be, be inspected by the Department of Agriculture of the state of New York, right? So, and then you have the voluntary sort of regulatory stuff you have to comply with for say, for any sort of, any claims and uh, non-GMO certifications, right. uh, organic certification. And it's not just applying for it and getting the pay, you know, getting approved for the first time. It's an ongoing reg uh, compliance burden, right? Because uh, you get inspected annually, but you have to track all your, you know, for, you know, all the ingredients you use, everything, everything. There's a very specific documentation you have to have in place that they can come in and audit once a year and, you know decide whether you can keep your certification or not right so that's um that's really the the main areas you have to deal with the fda the fda is not a regulatory body per se right they don't come and inspect you um but you have to be registered with them just in case mm -hmm. what recalls and things like that um and they they, they, they issue guidance on regulation for the states and the and, and the local municipalities to taken on force, right? So they will issue guidance on how to say, police the juice business and the Department of Agriculture at the state level will adapt, more often than other adopt those, uh, those uh, recommendations, but they might take it and adjust it a little bit. And those are, that's the body you're interfacing with as a brand to stay in compliance. Um, now it's, it's a lot of paperwork, but honestly- <laughs> I was gonna ask. <laughs> <laughs> it's not impossible. Um, and I, one thing I would share with, you know, some, some of your audience, even if it's not just in, in the food space, really, one thing I've learned uh, over the last, I don't know, six years or so, is that most of what you're doing in your business is paperwork, right? It's, yeah. it's sort of counterintuitive. You'll think that it's a lot of the things you're getting up and doing, you know, the making the product, but the most important aspects of your business will be paperwork related, you know, whether it's complying with, you know, financial regulation stuff or uh, you know or something specific regulations to your industry but again none of it, this is impossible and if you're in the u.s in the western world in general it's relatively straightforward because you can look it up you know what i mean you can yeah. google it like you're i i think folks doing this in africa have a much tougher time uh, on one hand regulation is not that strict but on the other hand you also don't have access to as many resources I'm not even talking about money, but I'm talking more about data and information yeah. and all for what, you know, and, and just a supply network that would be around you, things like that. Um, and then 
So you said you, you generally just look it up and, and do, but just by virtue of the volume of paperwork, not just with not just with the food um, regulations, but everything else, do you ever outsource or have you thought about outsourcing some of that just to give you more flexibility with operations? Or do you do everything yeah, I would, As much as much honestly, if if you're not if if you have this um if you have someone you can outsource it to, if you can afford to outsource it, uh, wherever you can hire someone that you know, that knows what they're doing better than you do, do, you know, as an entrepreneur, that's your job really is to put those people in place. But in our case, uh, we pretty much didn't outsource anything <laughs> simply because we didn't have two things. One, we didn't have the, we couldn't afford it. You know, mm. food consultants are very expensive. And two, since we couldn't afford it, we also you know, we we have the the skill set to learn things like this and yeah. relatively short time and implement them, just by virtue of our educational background. So I think I think you know uh, most people that have had some sort of that are comfortable with you know administrative work, you know paperwork and or you know, that have a background in really that are, that have an you know advanced education of some kind ought to be able to do it if themselves if they if they want to, but Again, if you can afford it, can get someone that knows what they're doing better than you, hire someone and let them yeah. do it your time. Yeah. And then I guess my last question around the food regulation piece before we move forward is around staying through to like the recipe, right? So if I recall, you know, you the food that you you sort of had to call your mom <laughs> to put the yeah. first original recipe together. But then in terms of it's a perishable product, right? So in terms of I'm sure there's um I don't know, regulations around, you know, keeping its shelf stable or whatever to, to make sure that it can last for X number of days. Um, mm -hmm. Does that affect like the authenticity? Like, do you have to change certain things so that it's not as maybe quote unquote authentic as you would like or? No, so the, in terms of the shelf stability of the product, it's, it's up to you, you know, you have a lot of options in terms of how to extend the shelf life of your product. Yeah. Um, as far as the regulatory bodies are concerned, they only care that whatever it is that you adopt is um is safe, right? Okay. So they only care about protecting the safety of the consumer. Now you extend the shelf life mainly not because of because of a safety issue, but because business wise, you just yeah. you cannot sell a product that expires in three days, right? You don't have enough time. Uh, so you know that's whatever option you choose to use uh, uh, as a shelf life extending method, whether it's using preservatives, whether it's using like heat uh, to pasteurize it, whether it's some of more novel techniques like high pressure processing, or you're using something like or using ozone to, 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 extend, to sanitize it and extend the shelf life. Regardless of what you use, you have to make sure that um, it's um, it's either a method that's already been approved for your types of products. So for example, if you're doing a beverage that has a certain pH, um, you need to, in order for you to say, use pasteur, you know, regular heat pasteurization techniques, there are standards where you have to hold that liquid at a certain temperature, I think it's around 160 for 30 seconds or longer, right? I forget the exact number, but it's around there. And that's guaranteed to kill whatever pathogenic agent that normally would uh, uh, survive in that sort of environment, right? Um, 
and so on and so forth. So depending on what, what your pH is, what your ingredients are, mm -hmm. whether you're using preservatives or not, you just need to make sure you're using things that are either already approved, that's on a list of approved compounds by uh, the regulatory bodies, or you can go to say um, uh, a lab, like in New York, you could go to Cornell University and they'll run some of these tests for you. Oh. They'll do a, a validation study, meaning they'll take it and run it through the process that you say you will use to produce your product and then test the, the, the shelf life of it and tell you, okay, this is a method that's, that, that has been validated to kill like five logs of, you know, pathogenic compounds that would be in it. I'm getting a little technical. <laughs> no, but it's, I think it's helpful. A lot of people don't, don't get this, this level of detail as you think about it. They think, oh, I make the best, I don't know, watermelon juice. I'm going <laughs> to try to do this. And then they run into these, some of these stumbling blocks. So I think it's helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we are, you know, we, we, we did too, you know, I mean, going into it, you have no idea what to look, what to look out for. But again, uh, once you know who's regulating you, you can literally reach out to the regulatory body, tell them exactly what you're doing, and you'll find them very helpful. And the shelf life, if you say, you know, this is something you can do beforehand, you can test the shelf life, just roughly yourself at home, right? Like say, you know, your drink will last maybe a week for sure because you've mm. experienced you know that so you can make say four containers seal them test one at a week test one at 10 days or 14 days and keep going <laughs> until, until you get sick <laughs> until <laughs> until until you feel like okay i should not be testing this anymore <laughs> you know i don't i don't recommend you do this at home right because i don't want anyone to get sick at home and come to Rahim gave me the yeah <laughs> but that's but, yeah <laughs> that's, that's essentially what the lab does. They'll yeah. tell you, okay, how many, how long do you want to study the shelf life for? You say six months or one year. And then they'll ask you how many, how many points do you want to check it on, mm. meaning how, at how many different uh, frequent uh, intervals. So you can tell them, all right, test it for six months and test four intervals. So they can test it at one month, at three months, four months, and so on. Okay. Yeah. And then they'll, give you a report like a biochemical literally report that tells you okay it's only you should only this is only safe for 45 days or six or two months yeah. so yeah wow this is definitely not your grandmother's business <laughs> for sure um yep. in interesting okay so let's move on to what i'm sure is the topic that most people are looking to d dive into which is funding all right mm -hmm. so you guys, at least from the outside, looks like you've ramped up relatively quickly in, in terms of just the business. And then also the assumption is, underlying assumption there is that there's been funding to support that that growth, right? And so from what I know, and you can talk about it, you've done that through a mix of different sorts of, um, I, I will call them capital raises, um, yeah. <laughs> just from my yeah. banking my banking background. But you've done um, you've done grants, you've done crowdfunding. I think you've done some VC funding. I'm not sure. Um, and then you've just had some angel investors too. I think. So, do you want to? I'll just leave it open to talk about um, the various ways uh, you funded it, and you know what worked, what worked, what didn't work um, from your perspective. Yeah. So. Um... You know, if if you start a business, I would say you need to have uh, a very strong desire uh, 
to make it succeed beyond just money uh, because it's never <laughs> it's it's never easy. It's always very very difficult. And uh, we we had our mindset on from the beginning. If we had to make one bottle of this thing, sell it and make two, sell those, make three or four, mm. we would do that. And we were prepared for that. We knew it would be difficult, but and it, it still was not uh, was much more difficult than no, how difficult. <laughs> Um, you know, so, um, you know, for us, especially, you know, uh, immigrants and not just Africans, you know, that come here and most of our family are still back home. Our realities are very different. Like it's very yeah. hard for us to save money because they have to send money back home. Uh, it's very hard to do so many things because there's all these different pressures. Oh, you should build a house home. You should do this. You should do that. You should. Yeah. So getting a, a, a big amount of savings is quite challenging. So when we launched this business, we literally, when we decided we would launch it, by the way, we had already done about, we had, we had, we had been talking about this and thinking about this, how the brand identity would look for, for, for a while at that point. When we finally decided we would launch this, all we had at our disposal was a little less than $1,000. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that's no lie. So we said, okay, is this enough to do anything? <laughs> my, my brother, I remember him saying, well, we can register a company. I was going to say, it sounds to me like you can register. You can register oh, a company and that's about it. <laughs> All right, that's a start. And I guess I can put my next um, salary into this. I mean, you can start buying ingredients and playing around mm-hmm. with it and, 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 and we can get going that way. And, you know, some of the advice you hear out there often, I'll go on a tangent a little bit here because all of the books written, the MBA books, uh, the, the, the major university advice, it's amazing advice. It's excellent advice. The only problem is it does not take into account the problems that I just told you about or mm. the challenges of some people who come really from um, very unique and difficult circumstances. It, 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 it looks at people who normally maybe graduated from college, one got a, an amazing job, saved a saved ton of money or, or got funding through a friend or family round and such. Uh, so meaning around 100 to $200,000, got the thing started, had a proof of concept, goes and raises a million dollars, and then they go, they go boom. And from there they go and they raise $10 million. Um, so that's not the reality of most of our people, unfortunately. You know, we can barely come across $50,000, okay. you know, uh, to do anything. So, and that's the reality that came really quickly. When we did the math, we needed 1.5 million to get started. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Wait, wait. What wanted, yeah, <laughs> for what we wanted to do, the way we wanted to do it to do it properly, we needed 1.5 million. Oh wow. Like, okay. This, uh, I think this is doable. <laughs> wow. Let's wait, go. wait, wait, wait. Let's let let let's, let's pause. So yeah. a lot of people, a lot of so really speaking now to um we have a wide audience, but the people that are gonna focus in on this are Af- a lot of African immigrants who, who have businesses in this space. Um and just from by virtue of my experience of talking to a broad range of people from whether it's service hospitality to actual packaged goods, yeah. I don't think I've ever met or spoken to anyone who did the math before jumping in. To know that they needed X number. People usually jump in and then figure it as they go along and it's like, whoa. So like what I mean, not without maybe maybe it's too technical, but how do you arrive at a 1.5 million number for a Jews business? Uh, again, just a side note, if you're listening to this and you not you don't do the math before you jump, please do the math before you jump. <laughs> With all seriousness though, if you do the math, 
then you won't get surprised when you get knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, of course I knew it. Um, mm. what, what it would allow you to do is just be more realistic and, and try to figure out a, a different angle or different way of doing things. Okay. So, so the math is extremely important. But yeah, uh, thanks for pointing that out. But we, we did have to do the math because we wanted to know what to do, how to do it, and how to do it right. And and the way we, we, we came to that was simply um, um, at what, what we thought at first was the most realistic way of doing it, meaning uh, uh, using in part, uh, doing part of the production ourselves with a certain, needing certain equipment, doing the, um, another part with a co-packer because uh, then we don't have to shell out something like, I think most, if you want a full line, in high-end full line, you can spend any, anywhere between 10 million uh, dollars or oh. more. Build out your own facility with everything. All the uh, so you know, I'm seeing I've seen numbers up to 75 million. You know, yeah. so you can this Depending number can vary and can go yeah. really, 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 really high, really, really fast. So we thought we narrowed that down to oh, 1.5 million. You know, we would we would just need this and that. We would we would get our suppliers this way. We would get our bottling that way. We would have this many people to start with uh, in our team, and that was we thought very conservative and. So we, we had our business plan. We called a couple of friends. We were so excited. We, you know, we, we presented it to them. And then they gave us a look like we were crazy, rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> we presented to a few other people and we quickly realized as this was going on that we would never get that money. Um, so the, when you wanted to know what went into that math, right? It's, it's, it's very straightforward. We thought we need a facility to make it in. We need some equipment to do one part of the process, like my brother alluded to, and then second part to the uh, good use of co-packer. We needed a truck to distribute all that and like, you know, do some marketing locally. We needed sales and marketing people to build the brand when once we go live. So really we just simulated what the company would look like if we launch, like if we need an account, yeah. all of them. The ideal, the ideal scenario to launch it. You know what I mean? And we yeah. added it. We put a price tag and all of that. How much does an account cost? How much space do we need? What's the running, what's the rent for a space like that in the South Bronx where they have a bunch of factories or whatever right. you want to like on and on and on. And then and, and not to ignore the store counts that we want to start with. So do we want to start with a hundred locations? Do we want to go push and try to grow into a uh, thousand locations? So all that goes into that. And yeah. then how much do you take? What's the starting capital for that? And then so, enough run and enough runway for say six months to a year. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I was gonna ask you. So it's it's not just the capex at the beginning, but you're also looking at operating expenses for X exactly. number of months post launch. Okay, got it. Wow, that that's that that for me would be scary. Like that's that would be scary. <laughs> that would be daunting just to see that number. But you're right. It's, it's, I think it would be helpful to see the number and then like sort of maybe shock you into reality as you think about the yeah. different options you have. Yeah. Absolutely. And it was then that it, you know, we almost gave up at that point because it's like, okay, there's no way we can get one, one and a half million. We're talking to people and they're looking at us like, you know, giving us that look. Um, and so that's, that's when it dawned upon us, hey, if our mother can make this in their kitchen, you know, and give it to us or sell it on the side of the, the yeah. street. There's gotta be a much cheaper way of doing this. And um, it wasn't easy to find that formula or to figure out a way to do it and scale it at that smaller level. It was extremely difficult, but uh, we, we, hope, we figured because people were just saying, okay, it's a really good idea. Like, uh, you know, anyone who knows Africa or who's had the product, 
uh, the, the first few people that we presented were people that had a little bit of money that we knew about in the community through introductions and such. So they got, they understood it, but they just didn't believe in it. They, they thought it was too ambitious. It was just too big of a thing to do. So, and they wanted to see the, what the product was. So we went on and we, we said, okay, let's go ahead and create a product um, and show them the product, you know, and, and we did that. And eventually then they went, okay, you have the product, you have two or three stores, but can you really get into stores? Can you get into more stores? We went and got into 30 to 40 stores by ourselves while holding a full-time job. It was our week, uh, bi-weekly checks that was funding this, by the way, as okay. we were going. Okay, so then initially, um, it's it's your salaries, right? So yeah, that's the initially initial... our salary. And then we ran into uh, eventually one person that actually believed in us a little bit. Um, and uh, he, he gave us, um, a, 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 he made a, a small investment that allowed us to say, okay, now we can go and try to see if we can get a distributor really quickly. And at the same time, we engaged Whole Food immediately. But this was a very modest <laughs> investment. $25,000. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, our, that was our first outside that, Yeah. That's, I mean, again, a relative, right? So for, for our community, someone hears that, they're like, whoa. But I guess, relatively speaking, in terms of the bigger market that you're competing in, you're right. That's probably not um, significant. That's, the, that, that's what I call a dangerous amount of money. You know what we, what, right. you know what we call that? <laughs> no. Just enough rope to hang yourself. <laughs> enough to get you dipped into the thing, and then you're out of money oh, before boy. you. Uh, yeah. So uh, essentially, uh, that money ran out fast, but. Thankfully, we were able to secure Whole Food by name. We were able to get a distributor as well. And uh, we had uh, been applying nonstop. So if you cannot get funding the traditional route, you got to find out a creative way. So mm-hmm. every competition that we heard of, whether it's a th- $1,000 prize or 10000 or 100000 we would enter the competition. Okay. And we thought the hope was to at least be finalists. Even if you don't win, just, the presence of, just our presence at the event or the people will get to hear and see the brand. We, we were applying to things we knew for sure we don't qualify for, right? <laughs> like, it's like some competition on, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, software, right? We'll apply to it. But I'm not joking when I say this, I, 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 you know? And now our whole thinking was, one person is going to review these applications. That person will know our brand exists from now. Yeah. You know, that was literally, we have time, we don't have money, so anything that... <laughs> We, you know, we, that's how we use our time, more or less. So, game changer. So, there's a lot of, as you can see, as, <laughs> as much as we're good at planning, there was a lot of willpower and and yeah. uh, devotion to suffering. Allowing <laughs> 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 ourselves to suffer. Because um, as we were running out of money, we were lucky enough, we won two prizes within the same month, which was the, we, we, we won uh, the, the, the FedEx National Grand Prize Contest, which was a $25,000 award. And we won an American Entrepreneurship Award, which was also $25,000. And oh, nice. that just changed. It was the first time we had enough money to be able to actually do something, to, to, to do a little bit of test marketing here and there, to, to allow ourselves to get into more accounts and, 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 and amongst other things. So for us, that was the game changer. So as you, if you're paying attention, we still have not gotten money for this <laughs> Um, 
this was about a year and a half in into and, oh wow okay yeah, so yeah. so so at so, this point a year and a half in you've you've um essentially bootstrapped right with uh, salaries and then now grants at this point exactly and at that point the two of us were working full-time and doing the job of about a dozen people so no sleep Crazy. yeah Crazy but this is what it takes for us to be able to do things like this to go things like this and our belief is as long as you're willing to go on and you keep going and you do so things that are just excellent somebody out there will will eventually see you and appreciate yeah. what you do and accept the greatness of what you're doing and and and, and come along so um we're still looking for those people by the way <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there they're still looking <laughs> yeah so um essentially we kept trying to raise here is the thing too though if you if you get to start your business and you're actually doing okay and you're surviving and you're trying to build it don't another decision we made earlier was we were never going to undersell ourselves we would mm. never out of desperation make a stupid decision you know mm. um i don't know if my brother mentioned this before we, we got invited to uh, and a potential investor invited us to Hong Kong. No, you know? I didn't hear this. I haven't heard wow. this. Wow. Yeah, like, you know, flight, hotel, all paid for. We get there, you know, we're having dinner in Michelin star hotels, um, I mean, restaurants. Um, and we get in there, there's a lot of, it's, it, the, 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 the dinner is pretty much intimidating. It's his best. <laughs> It's his accountants from all over the world and oh, wow. all of these different people. And after all of that, we get essentially insulted and given like a, a, a quite poor uh, offer. Now, for most people at that point, especially given the situation we were in. Yeah, the Michelin stars. <laughs> yeah, they was like, oh my God, you know? And it was a really hard decision because we, were, we really, really needed that at that time. And we were in a really difficult spot. But we had to turn it down and it was a lot of money, you know, so. Relatively speaking. Well, it was 350K, it was 350K roughly around there for a ridiculous percentage of the business. Oh yeah, out. I was gonna say, so this was an equity. So he they wanted um, equity in equity. the business. Okay, equity so stake, not, yeah. not an outright sale. No. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, I mean, we were willing to to give up quite a bit of equity, but it, it was just insane, you know, what, what, they, what, what they were asking for. So, um, I mean, if you end up working so hard and eventually you find yourself towards where you want to be, but then you're working for someone else again, then that's not very joyful, you know? We do want to, and, and the other thing is, you got to think about how big you want to make your business. If you mm -hmm. took that and we gave up half of it, we would never have enough of the business remaining to do the next, the following yeah. round to get the business to where it needs to be. So um, that's that. So eventually we, you know, we, le we left that and we had, couple of other meetings with a few other people you know at that point we were more excited because at least we were finally getting meetings you know yeah. we turned and, it down by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, I think that also um should send should send a signal to you right that you're on the right track even if, if even right. if the valuation at that point um is not what you think it is I think as a you know as a budding entrepreneur that should that should send the fact that someone is even willing to put down some money should you know Totally, no. It, it was it was it, a fantastic experience. It, it, we enjoyed it a lot, and <laughs> it's funny. It was it was an odd thing, right? Because on one side, you know, we're putting on our entrepreneurial hats and then going, "No, this is a horrible deal. We're not making this deal." 
But at the same time, we're going, man, I can believe somebody wants to give us $350,000. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? For any yeah. percentage of our business, you yeah. know? So you're right. It was very validating. Yeah, and, and really, we got the best we could out of it. You know, whenever we meet with someone, even, uh, you know, even if we, whether they say no or we say no, it we always took the best out of it. We, mm. we, 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 we could, we got as much advice as we could out of it. You know, even if 80% of it is nonsense, that 20% is the most valuable thing. And we, we take that and we just use that for the following meeting or the following person we have to yeah. speak to. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's very, very challenging to, you know, how do you value a company you've, killed yourself to build right. but yet you know you're not able to take advantage of all of the opportunities that are in front of you because you just you know you will uh, that's the other thing we 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 have had so many people reach out to a store in terms of stores to expand to grow to grow to grow we keep saying no because we know we will grow our, ourselves out of business oh, so it's very important to know your limits too and just keep yourself there till you know you're ready to get to the next step if you can find a way to make that work congratulations to you but for us mm-hmm. it's very important to say thank you so much but not yet you know give us a little bit more time you know we're working towards being able to work with you and, and get get into the place we need to be um but you know just just give us a little bit more time um so as we kept doing this it just got harder and harder and harder but at the same time we had a lot of friends reaching out to us saying hey i love what you guys are doing at that time we we're becoming a bit more uh, visible mm-hmm. and people i will realize that you know we were really serious about this it wasn't just something we started for fun and yeah. you know um and friends would call and say hey, i have 500 dollars. i would love to invest in your company or a thousand here and there and uh we kept saying no 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 because it just wasn't enough for us to do much of anything and then yeah. we would have taken their money but as this kept growing we said what are we doing why are we saying no to these people there's a lot of them and they want to work with us they want to have they want to be part of what we're doing and literally like there's nothing better than having your friends win if you end up winning at the end of the day so and um, so we did an equity crowdfunding campaign. Oh and we yeah, I remember raised, that. Uh, one hundred eighty-two thousand dollars, essentially from two hundred and sixty-one investors. Um, it was amazing, and uh, around that time we had also decided to um, uh, to open up the cafe and get that going. And that's how we got to where we are. So no million-dollar investment. <laughs> no, it's really just. Um, just our, uh, you know, strong desire to build this thing yeah. no matter what it takes and, um, and, and a few luck, lucky breaks in terms of winning those grants. Um, the way I see it is either we will eventually get the, 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 big, investor. the big investment required to, to scale this and grow this quickly because we do have everything in place to get that done uh, quickly. Or, you know, it will take, it will be a slow, small, gradual build. You know, one yeah. cafe now, maybe a second one, and then eventually we'll, as we grow throughout the Northeast, we'll eventually go to other regions and territories as we grow. And it'll be a, it's a nice, slow build. Uh, and we will have to be extremely patient in that way. Um, but it's one or the other. We would love to get the investment, but if it doesn't come, we're not going anywhere. Like we'll, we'll find yeah. other ways. So are you are you both now working on this full time? Do you have a team? Like what's what's the current status in terms of working versus the, the brand? Oh, yeah, we're on this full time. Uh, the two of us are on it full time. We have uh, we have a designer that we have on retainer, that you know, um, creates some of the visuals that you see on social media and places like that. Um, and we have well, we ended up having to let go of pretty much most of our employees at the cafe, and we have one mm-hmm. employee there. So it's just uh, it's really it's 
not much has changed. So we've 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 built quite a bit since we started. Yeah. We don't have this massive team behind us that we um you know that's powering everything you're seeing. We're in the process of actually uh, raising a larger round with the idea of expanding because we have a distributor that has that covers most of the north uh, most of the uh, the east coast really that has over 4,000 points of sale oh, that we wow. can do. Yeah, so like we can literally activate that next week if we wanted, if we if we could. Uh, but putting product in 4,000 locations and <laughs> there's a marketing team to support it is suicide, right? Yeah. Uh, we're, we, we, we're in, you know, you know we're in Whole Foods already. But yep, we can't I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, so we're in there, but then we could grow into more other stores but again, we don't, in order for us to do that, we need personnel that we have to hire and pay and make all that happen. So yeah. really, we're in the middle of um, launching, an, well, we're in the middle of raising capital again. Um, but this one, hopefully... We're a little more optimistic this time. Say. <laughs> you, um, so when you say raising capital, is this, um, are you looking at VCs? Like what's, what's the, what channel are you going down for this for this one? Both, um, you know, well, so we, we're looking to raise anywhere you know, on the low end, $2 million, on the high mm-hmm. end, more than $5 million this round. Um, and, and really the difference, the, you might have wondered why it's such a big range. It's really um, doing more or less of the same thing we would do, right? It's just if we raise more money, we can move quicker, we can open yeah. more quicker, we can expand our footprint in the retail quicker, we can add on activate more of the skills uh, that we already are selling at the coffee shop. So we have four drinks all together. Ecom. Uh, Ecom, do be more aggressive online. Um, so that's it, it's on the lower end, we'll do a little less of that, you know? Um, and we're targeting VCs, angels. Um, yeah, pretty much anyone that's Ooh. looking to put some money to work. <laughs> awesome. So I, I actually wanted to talk to you about VC funding in general, because back to, I think it was Mohammed's point earlier about um, us not being the right fit sometimes for these uh, funding models um, or capital raising models, um, just by virtue of what people are looking for or the typical entrepreneur that they're looking for, what they're looking to invest in, just based on your um, discussions, experiences with different VCs, if they have been that many, what, what I just, I guess for the people that are listening, want them to get a sense of, of a flavor of what it's like to interact with VCs with a product like yours that's sort of steeped in African culture or context and what that means when you're talking, I'm guessing mostly to American um, VCs. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, Food podcasts from HRN can provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. 
At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new shows. Here's the thing with VCs. Um, first and foremost, they want to invest in things that make money, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so the first thing they look for is that. They're looking for companies that are already making money, pretty much de-risk altogether. And, you know, it's, they just put in their money and harvest at the end. Now, of course, you, you see you, you, uh, the reaction, uh, obvious reaction to that is, well, duh, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> short of that, it's, okay, you want to have enough signals for them to believe that you're going to make them a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so if it's, if, if it's a, ve- a venture capitalist that invests in later stage companies, that's a lot easier. You have a lot more metrics to go off of and so on. If it's people that invest in early stage companies, uh, if you're at the idea stage or you just literally just have a proof of concept and, 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 a, and a nice PowerPoint, right now they have to look to other indicators or whatever it is that in their minds convinces them that you, you fit the profile of something, someone that can make this happen. So these indicators, the most obvious ones tend to be your pedigree, where you went to school, mm-hmm. right? You went to, if you went to an Ivy League, that gets you through the door in some ways uh, and so on. Now, the, the, the other thing that comes into play there is, is um, the other thing that comes into play there is, uh, is race, uh, unfortunately, because that does factor in, right? They, they look for VCs that fit a pattern of something they know. So if you're a venture capitalist, all, you've, all the only people you've seen succeed in whatever space are young white kids that went to a certain school. That's what you're going to look for. Yeah. Because if you invest in those guys and it doesn't pan out, no one's going to give you a hard time. You're investing someone that does not fit the mold and it doesn't pan out. You have a lot more explaining to do, right? This is just me giving them the benefit of doubt at some point. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, beyond that, you you know, you know, have those that really just don't believe that would not invest in, in young black kids because you know it's a society they grew up in and they have no indicator that people like us can do things like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and really that's, that, that's, that's the way I look at it. And so for us, we have the added challenge of, okay, we're young, we're young black immigrants. Uh, the only <laughs> two things that would have made it maybe more challenging if you were a black woman or if you were, you know, black, you know, a female and handicapped at the same time, you're an immigrant, you know, you're black, you're first time founder, all yeah. these come into play. So they keep moving the goalpost. Right. Some people will say, oh, come see us when you have a distributor. Right. You come back to them when you have you go, you come back, you have a distributor. Oh, come see me when you uh, when you have, you know, uh, who, who carries you like they want to know a big name anchor. Yeah. Oh, you know, we have Whole Foods. OK, how many stores? You tell them, OK, <laughs> come back to us when you double oh, that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the goalpost keeps moving. So you you have that. And. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, and, and, and if I may add, even if you don't look at it on a racial, uh, these are biases that are built in that they don't even realize yeah. they are, even if they're not. Exactly. So one of the ways they get a lot of us out of 
the ability to be uh, uh, invested in or even apply is most VCs will ask for a minimum of a million dollar revenue. Yep. Oh, or on the rate of a million dollars. Of a million dollars. How many people in our community do you know <laughs> yeah. who start a business with even more than you know, $50,000 or $100,000? Not many, but most of us save, we manage to save five to 10,000, we get something started, you know, we do yeah. maybe a revenue of 50,000 or 60,000, which is amazing, you know, I feel like, uh, or even we may get close to 100,000 after a year or two. And that to us, that's incredible. It's like, wow, like I built this from scratch, from nothing. And, but to them, it's like, uh, well, we, we only look at business, you know, we only accept businesses on a run rate of a million dollars or more. So by that virtue, you need to build your company up for like 10 years yeah. to get to that, to that point, to be able to even apply to them. And that's the challenge. If you're in tech, maybe you're lucky enough, you have a few <laughs> co-founders that, that yeah. fit the right profile and everything else. Maybe they'll take a chance on you. But like just mainly being black or, or women in general, um, um, it's, you don't necessarily get the benefit of the doubt, even if everything is perfect the way it should be, it's, 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 it, it can be a bit challenging, uh, sometimes most of the guys that these guys invest in, this is what happens. Okay. Uh, not all of them, but most of them, this is what happens. They, they, like, like my brother was saying, and I said earlier, they, they went to the right school. They have an idea. They go, Hey, they do a friends and family round. Generally, you know, the median income of white America is much, much, much higher. Yeah. It's in a hundred and I think 30 or 40 thousands. 117,000 average. And for, 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 for black Americans, it's around what I, I, I it, last I checked was around 7,000. I think both of those numbers have gone up now. That's the median income of a family. That's, it's a oh. huge disparity. So when you're looking at friends and family, who has the most friends? So usually these guys will get funded by their mom and dad yeah. or, or their friends, or they have a home or two. They can put one on, you know, as, yeah. a, as, a, as collateral. collateral yeah. So getting a hundred to $500,000 just as a seed or to just to get their idea started is fairly simple. And once they have the idea like, hey, look, 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 we have this, it, look, it tastes good, it looks good. We just need 750,000 to a million dollars to, to get it going. And they can get that fairly easily or get a loan from a bank fairly easily because they have all these assets and all these other things they can put, put, they can put up. If you have a million dollars, how hard is it for you to make another million? <laughs> yeah. And now they're in a position to go after these VCs and get the money. So, so this is the frust somewhat of the frustration or some of the challenges that you know, um, uh, we, 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 we tend to go through. But we just look at it as just a way of learning and finding out what's, uh, how how things are and how things work. And eventually, ultimately, we will get to that. And then we will be able to, again, give them a yeah. chance to say no. But, but that's where we are, really. Uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's the challenge. But, you know, you're, you're, you know, being a little more optimistic, <laughs> if you are just thinking of starting the business in the early stages, your best bet is, you know, don't waste your time too much on bigger VCs who only fund, round, you know, uh, Series yeah. A and Series B. You know, go to the pre-seed or seed funds. You know, there's a lot of angel groups out there that are doing that. If you're a woman, there's actually a much bigger push now to fund um, uh, women. Uh, and you will likely be able to get, you know, like a 10 to 25,000 thousand investment if they really, really like yeah. what you do and they believe in what you do. But again, that's only going to be enough 
to get you started, <laughs> get you going. Enough, enough rope, right? <laughs> yes. If you're if you're at the idea stage, honestly, I would say don't waste any time going after anybody unless you're proven unless you're proven unless you're proven entrepreneur, right? You can point to something you've done that a total to a total stranger and they'll be like, oh, okay, right? Like yeah. some sort like that to give you the validation. Maybe go after friends you may know, family you don't know. Uh, going, I will not say don't go to investors. Maybe you're much better you know, at raising money than we are, right? But my, if I have to do this over again, knowing what I know today, uh, some of the time we spent um, chasing after capital early on, because after the first year, we're like, all right, you know what? We, you know, every indicator that we've had is get a proof of concept, get into like, get some retailers, show that your product moves and go out there and get a, get a friends and family, like a pre-seed round. So we, we, we relaxed, we shifted our focus to that and we ended up, that ended up leading to nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think if you, especially if you don't have a product, don't even incorporate a company. Focus on getting <laughs> your product. I'm serious. Yeah. Focus on getting your product right. Getting something people like, people are going to, you know, buy or, you know, the, or, or like not just your friends tasting it and loving it. <laughs> something yeah. that someone will literally give you money for. Yeah you know, and then start worrying about everything else. And after that, get the branding right, try to get some retailers, get people paying you before you go to anyone trying to find money. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. I, I, this is my personal belief. I think you'll waste a lot of energy mm-hmm. uh, and not get as far. No, I, I, I think you should definitely apply uh, regardless uh, in terms of precedence and, and see around um, uh, angel groups and VCs simply because it will give you an opportunity to practice your pitch you know, and answer competitions. Competitions are probably the best way, the easiest way uh, to, to get something. Uh, it's still very challenging, but it's, it's one of the ways. But I, I think if anything, you may you may get something. If But if nothing, you know, be positive, you know, ask for questions, ask them why they're not picking you. And that may open up doors or they may even give you a tip that actually may change uh, how you do business completely. You know, sometimes... It's, it's not something really you can use or you can do. So you keep, you keep it moving. But, uh, you know, we've gotten some, we understood the psychology and gotten some really good feedback here and there um, uh, with them. And some of them still reach back out to us because they actually, they're actually paying attention. They just don't want to take a risk. They want to wait till we are making money. Um, and they want, they, their money is pretty much guaranteed. And at that point, we'll have the advantage. Yeah. But um, do that. And also warm intros are amazing. You know, sometimes it's your customers. They'll know someone, they love what you do, what you do so much that they may introduce you to a person and that warm intro may lead to something um, uh, better than, um, uh, the, you would have a high, higher ads than let's, let's say meeting a, a random investor. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Well, good advice. Um, I'm just watching the time. I know we're over time. Um. Just how much time do you have left so, so we can start wrapping up? I know we've uh, gone over. Ten minutes. Uh, ten minutes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so just, I guess this, this is all really helpful. And as you were talking about, you know, the different conversations you're having with VCs and tips and whatnot, I remember um, an, a video, an anecdote I saw one of you share, I think it may have been Raheem actually, about um, someone who told you guys to tone down the Africa <laughs> In, mm-hmm. your, in your pitches yeah. and it, it just like I remember hearing that and just being so because I feel like that is the selling point I don't know what your take I mean obviously you haven't done that but <laughs> to hear that to, for me that's your unique selling proposition right and so 
to hear yeah. somebody say that to you, especially from their background. I think they work for a major bottler or something like that. Um, yeah, it's a former, it was a former Coca-Cola um, employee, I think. Uh, exactly. And, <laughs> and, yeah. And he honestly, like you could tell that he meant well, mm. you know, like he's, he, it's just, he, he, like, okay, this guy said that for a reason, right? Uh, if if he's inter- interacting with us for the first time ever, and that's the first thing that comes to mind, that goes to the point of us trying to do this to really change the way, right. uh, uh, you know, African everything is perceived. Coca-Cola sells millions upon millions of dollars <laughs> worth of products in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? This is how this guy still reacts. And honestly, we've had, you know, before we, we went live, we had Africans, you know, like you think that is too i mean we have the map of africa in the middle of our logo you know what i mean it was too in your face that's how they felt but just the way you reacted we feel like if we remove the african angle the story of these products being you know uh, uh like traditional to us or that has been in our families for generations and generations if you remove all of that we're just another company mixing juices and yeah. selling <laughs> Yeah, you know, exactly. which, and, and we would not have done it if that was the reason, you know. Yeah, and it's not turning the Africa up or down. It's just what it is. It's it's just who we are. And yeah, um, yeah, we we were very happy that we stayed the course. Uh, you know, uh, because we've had even friends call us and say, "Hey, you might want to remove that because you know you may not sell as well or as much." But uh, today, no complaint. People love it. People come <laughs> in because of that, and people support it. And 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 not just Africans. We have a huge percentage of our clients that are not African, that are people that would be in states that you would not go to. (laughs) (laughs) Our our audience is over 90% 90 of our audience is non-African. And and that's that's interesting. You know, yeah, we, we, of course, we want Africans to embrace this and those that know of us embrace it, you know, wholeheartedly and support us. But, but this is exactly, this is, um, this is, proving the point that you know our products can do well outside of our own community you know what i mean yeah. and and i think this idea of changing people's view of africa doesn't just apply to people that are non-african it applies to africans that's, themselves. as well yeah that that's a whole I that think could be a whole of, other conversation more so yeah and i would agree yeah. i would agree that's a whole <laughs> it's a whole other yeah. conversation yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um just quickly um we talked a lot about or you mentioned as you talked about distribution distribution distributors um if we could quickly just tell people how did you get your first um distribution contract if you will the first buyer that said yes i'm gonna put this on my shelf the first major buyer so let's say whole foods what was the Whole Foods journey like? Yeah, so so Whole Foods is is, is a retailer. Uh, we wouldn't consider them a distributor. Um, it's, oh, got uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there are companies outside of the retailers that would actually go and do all of that for you. But um, oh, okay. You know, it's uh, part of it is really due to our past experiences. We are fearless when it comes to talking to people or selling. You know, we've mm. gone through some really rough times. We've done all sorts of jobs. And uh, so what we did is mainly just, uh, we started, uh, you know, sort of all narrowing down which distributor we want to go after, which distributors sell our type of product. Because if you're selling a cold um, or a frozen product and you go to someone who only does shelf stable stuff, that's the wrong distributor yeah. for you because they, they cannot carry your product. So we narrowed it down to a few. And then we, the next step 
of it is, is very important. We call some of the people that they carried to see how, oh, okay. what kind of distributor they are because there are some horrible distributors out there. Even the good ones are not so great. So <laughs> you definitely don't want to be with a distributor who's not going to pay you. Who's, uh, so that's the easy part. Now, and then the, comes the hard part, convincing the ones you selected uh, to carry you essentially. So most distributors will not want to carry you if you have nothing. If you haven't done anything and you're not you're not anywhere, so you cannot just have a really good product, and unless you have a really good connection and a tons of marketing money, um, and just go to a distributor and say, "Hey, I want to put this product. Out. Can you distribute me?" Uh, in our case, we had to, we, but we did talk to them early enough and say, "Hey, we just wanted to know what it takes uh, to 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 to, uh, yeah. to be distributed by you guys." And we got some good information, and we even learned how distributors work a little bit by doing that. But eventually, we went and built our own accounts, about 50 or 60. When we got to about 60 accounts, we knew it was time and we were actively building. So it was nice to be able to come and say, hey, distribute us and we have these additional 60 accounts that you can have okay. and you can carry places that you might not be um, at this moment. Um, but the way that happened was quite unique because you we were trying to talk to Whole, Whole Foods. Whole Foods wanted us to have a distributor before oh, they would carry them. And we were, we were talking to the distributor and they wanted us to have a major <laughs> account before you could. So we told both we had it. And, uh, and, and, and so one of the things was, this was genius. My brother Rahim did actually was he would write to them and then ship the products immediately oh, nice. at the same time. So by the time they read their email, like the same, the same day the product shows up. They're drinking they their ginger and while they're like, reading the email. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try this. And and uh, we were lucky that we had a very unique product. And some of them, uh, you know, uh, a couple of them reached back out to us and said they wanted to, they were interested in talking. Cool. And that's how that happened, to be honest with you. Cool. And I, and I think that's an interesting distinction because that's new to me. I mean, maybe maybe those in this space know. I didn't understand the concept of distribute. I thought people usually work directly with a buyer to retailer, but there's bulk distributors, it sounds like that can get you into these accounts interesting good stuff we there's so much we could cover we are running out of time unfortunately yeah. <laughs> so what's next for you guys what's what's the next big thing i mean i think covid has obviously had an impact on on your business um probably changed what you were thinking about doing this year but as you think about the rest of the year 2021 and down the road what's what's yeah your i mean we'll, uh, we'll 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 stay the course um i think uh uh, we, sh we, sh we should we should be all right. Um, we um, we just want to see what happens after these elections for you know and <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then based on that we will make uh, the bigger decisions. But for now we yeah. just you know we're just thankful that we're still around. We're still here. Uh, we we we've been doing um, much more business online with the shift of everything happening uh, online, and uh, uh, we're still doing okay with Whole Foods. Um, so. Uh, we one of the reasons why we're raising this round now is we think that this is a, actually um, uh, a, a great time uh, for us people in our position to take opportunities to take to take on these risks and challenges because people that are in great position they they're too scared right now to act or to do anything yeah. and I think there are a lot of opportunities out there right now if you look beyond this and you see okay how can I position myself or put myself in a position uh, to excel in 2021 or in 2022 so. Uh, once we raise this money, I think uh, you may see a second or a third Jinjan Cafe. Um, you may see us a bit more on your phone. I know you with ads. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, uh, that's more or less it. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's, 
And yeah, you know, we're in the we're, we're fortunate enough that we're in the food business. So regardless of what happens, yeah. the economy as at large, people still have to eat and drink. Mm-hmm. If we just have to figure out ways to make sure that we're top of mind when people are deciding how to figure out what to eat or drink, you know. Cool. So before we oh, quick, sorry, oh, one last thing. We, yeah. we 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 will uh, next month most likely, and by the end of the year, anyways, we'll uh, we'll start having uh, proper actual African food at the cafe. And oh, awesome! So you can come get some real jollof rice. All you Ghanaians and Nigerians, <laughs> we'll have you to come, come and test. <laughs> we'll have to come and test to be sure it's it's proper jollof rice now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, where can people find you online, social media? You know, if they want to support you, um, or even if, if they're based in New York, where can they find you in Harlem? If you want to listen to the longest interview ever made on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, you can find us at uh, at drinkjinjan.com, drinkjinjan, G-I-N-J-A-N.com. Uh, our handle on social social is at ginjanbros, G-I-N-J-A-N. B R O S and um, yeah, please. Uh, we're very. We actually respond to people ourselves most of the time. Um, so um, yeah, uh, please reach out if you have any questions. Yeah, cool. And then so we'll do this very quickly, more quickly than we do with most our rapid fire segments. So maybe we'll do one one at a time so that. Uh, so I don't know who wants to go first, but um, coffee or tea preference. Uh, right now (laughs) (laughs) okay um i thought you would push your ginger latte which i had and was phenomenal by the way um morning person oh i'm sorry go ahead you're gonna say no no go ahead go ahead it's rapid so we gotta go (laughs) (laughs) morning person or night person night uh this one is for the two of you your biggest pet peeve about your brother (laughs) <laughs> we need a new podcast for that. Oh my God, I know. Uh, first thing that comes to life. My brother's too nice. I'm serious. He <laughs> needs to be a little more cold-blooded. That's my bad feel. Uh, my my bro- brother over-educates people. <laughs> but as I try to tell him, you cannot educate people beyond their understanding. <laughs> true, true. And then this last one, um, I guess for both of you together, I guess you've you've won. I guess Ginger Ginger Brothers has won an award, or the mm-hmm. two of you individually for your most notable achievement. What would this award be called? Hmm. This is not one we've gotten before, so uh, it's uh, well, it's. I think I just, we just want people to remember, me personally, I just want people to think of me as a good guy. <laughs> you know, the good the, guy I would. <laughs> that would be. Nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, the, the, I, I think it's, there's nothing that feels better right now than friends coming and saying, hey, because of you guys, we had, we had the courage to go and get, get our own business going. And some mm-hmm. of them have done it and are doing extremely well. So I don't know, some sort of inspirational award. Inspirational award, cool. Yeah. I, that's a great note to end on because I think um, even though we've gone way over what we planned to do, I think your story is inspirational. I think I thank you so much for being open and candid about your journey, the specifics of it, because I think um, as we try to move forward in our own lanes in terms of what we want to do in this space, 
it's also mm-hmm. helpful to you know reach back inform support others that are also trying to make their path here so that as a community we sort of uplifting uplifting all of us together as we what do they say rising tides lift all boats right, and so yeah. really appreciate you sharing and being as candid as you were and we'll be looking forward to supporting you as you as you grow into a multi-billion dollar business <laughs> Yes. Down there. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank and you thank so you much. For extending us your platform, it means the world to us. You know, anyone that gives us a time of day, you know. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. And and for your audience too for listening in. If if for those that are listening that may be looking to go into the food space, whether they're here or in Africa, especially in uh, the traditional African food space. I, I, you know, I encourage you. I mean, we're doing this for, for us. We uh, clearly we believe in this, and I think there's a, there's a lot of room for growth in it. And one company or one team cannot do it all, right? So definitely do it. It's hard. Don't let, don't let all the scary stories we've just told you uh, dissuade you. You know, definitely go for it and reach out to us if we can be helpful. Yeah, it only takes two or uh, you know one, two or three successes for people to you know draft their guard and realize that we are worth investing in. We worth um uh following and and so uh you know the more of us the merrier so do it thank you (laughs) yeah thank you for listening to item 13 an african food podcast if you like the show please subscribe rate and review us on your favorite podcast app to keep up to date Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item13Podcast. Item13 is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.